and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. My name is Scott Miller, and I serve as your weekly host and interviewer. Today's guest is Tiffany Shalane, best-selling author, Emmy-nominated filmmaker, creator of the Webby Awards. Today, she's here to talk about her first and recent best-selling book, 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week. Tiffany Shalane, welcome to Franklin Covey's On Leadership. It's fantastic to be here. Great to have you. Now, Tiffany, we do 52 interviews a year, one a week, obviously, comes out on Tuesday, and we reserve about half those interviews for internal Franklin Covey thought leaders, people like Todd Davis, Stephen M. R. Covey, Chris McChesney, Corey Kogan, and others. And then we carefully curate 26 other interviews, people that are typically best-selling authors, business titans, CEOs, and I'm kind of given a little bit free reign over who those people typically are on topics that our audience is interested in, usually around the topic of leadership and such. And we have no shortage of agents, publicists, editors, authors submitting their you know, books to us or their topics to us, and we reject 90% of them because we only have 26. And then occasionally I'll find myself in non-quarantine times walking my three <laughs> boys through Barnes & Noble. As I've mentioned before, that's kind of our library. My boys think the Barnes & Noble is the library. We have a beautiful <laughs> two-story one here in Salt Lake City. And every Saturday, when we're not quarantined, we take a visit to the library. I send the three boys upstairs, and they get to each pick out a book or two if I'm weak-hearted. And I go downstairs and kind of you know, peruse the business bestseller list. Well, about two months ago, I came across your book on the recommended list on Barnes & Noble. And I looked at it, and I didn't quite understand the title, 24-6, it's catchy. And I read the tagline, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week. And I thought, man, I need that because I'm addicted to my phone, right? As an author, and as a speaker, and a writer, and I'm on my phone, my wife is harassing me, my kids are telling me, Dad, in fact, my five-year-old a week ago said, Dad, could you put your phone down? So I bought the book for my own personal reading, and then I read it. And I called up the production team and said, oh, no, no, no. Tiffany Schlane is taking one of these 26 coveted spots. So I'm honored to invite you to all of our listeners and viewers worldwide. We're going to have a great conversation today. Thanks for joining uh, us. I'm so glad you told that story. That means a lot to me. Well, it's very sincere. This is exactly how it happened. Tiffany, I'd like to give you a minute. You are a award-winning film producer. You invented the Webbies. I'd love to have all of our listeners and viewers better know what that means. Your films have shown at Sundance. You are recently now a bona fide best-selling author. Would you take a few moments and walk our, um, our audience through your own professional journey and what, what inspired you to write this first book? Yeah, I've always been interested in how technology can amplify us um, throughout my career. And I founded the Webby Awards in my 20s, and the Webby Awards honored the, the world's best websites. I sold them over 10 years ago to start my film studio. Um, I had studied film in college, and I make a lot of films that look at the intersection of technology and humanity, or I have done films on positive psychology and really leadership. Um, so I run a film studio in San Francisco called Let It Ripple. And then for the last 10 years, and I should also say I'm married to a, um, a professor of robotics at UC Berkeley. So obviously we're super into technology. But around 10 years ago, we decided to turn off um, all screens one day a week because we were feeling so distracted by all the screens at every moment. And it's been the single 
best thing that I think I've ever done in my life. I just turned 50 last week, so I've been thinking a lot about what are the big life lessons. That's one of them. And um, it's just we have two kids. I should also mention one's almost 17 and one's almost 11. And it's our whole family's favorite day of the week. And the longer we were doing it, the more addicted society was. Well, there was a sense of urgency. Wow, I have to share this free and ancient practice because it's we call it our tech Shabbat, but um, it's based on Shabbat. But we're coming at it from a non-religious perspective, which is also very exciting to me because it's really a way of life um, ritual if you look at it that way. And it's it's brought so much creativity, productivity, well-being, so many things, connection that it felt like an urgent thing to share this book, um, this idea in a, in the form of a book even though I've made many short films about it. Tiffany, when I first started to read the book and research you more, I thought, oh my gosh, how can she write an entire book about unplugging one day? I'm gonna read the first couple of chapters and I'll get the sense. And then, no, no, you wrote a beautiful book, a very inspirational tome about the power of technology in our lives and the power of removing it for perhaps one day a week. That's you refer right. to yourself as a cultural Jew, not as a religious Jew. And you spend a lot of time in the book talking about the foundation of the Sabbath, if you will, or in the, the Jewish faith, the idea of Shabbat. And you mentioned that you call it the tech Shabbat. Talk to why the idea of a Sabbath, which isn't you know, a, just a Judeo-Christian idea. It's, you know, Muslims have it, many religions take Sabbath. Talk a bit about and kind of level set for our audience how the idea of Shabbat from your own cultural upbringing um, inspired the book. Yeah, the concept of Shabbat, which is a full day of rest. Now, if you're religious, you look at it as the fourth commandment and, you know, take one day of rest, which is above do not commit murder, which is pretty crazy if you think about the list of orders on how to live a good life. But again, I'm coming at it. The only people I knew that took a full day of rest were Orthodox Jews. And so it felt very far away from me because I'm a cultural Jew. I'm not religious, but I have great respect for all the religions and for I have great respect for practices that withstand thousands of years. So Shabbat is over 3,000 years old. All these different faiths observe a day of rest. But now in the 21st century, it's only really the observant religious people of that faith that do it. But I'm really interested in time and how this radical innovative idea 3,000 years ago that a week would have an ending, that your work week would stop with one complete day of rest and then you would start a new week. And I think that the more, and, and again, I'm culturally Jewish, and some Jews, if you're culturally Jewish, will maybe have a nice Friday night dinner, but I didn't know anyone that did a full day of rest. But I'll tell you, I felt like I needed it. And when we started doing it, it had such a profound effect on my life. And you know, in, in the same way that yoga and meditation, which of course has been brought into a lot of leadership and business worlds is, bringing back this ancient idea to be thought of in a new way to bring back balance and productivity and, and mental focus back into your life. So I look at it really in the same way as I'm trying to bring an ancient wisdom in a new framing, because I think in our modern times, it's really screens are attached to so many things and a lot of them work and stress and a lot of connection, but there's no separation and no boundaries. And what I'm really interested in is an early on in my career, what was so exciting to me about technology is that it removed all the boundaries. You could work from anywhere. You could, you could be sitting on a beach and work. You could do remote learning, all this stuff. But now I'm seeing that we need to recreate some boundaries. 
that you know we fought very hard in America over 100 years ago for the concept of a weekend. And now we've pretty much given it away. You're available all the time to everyone, everything. Uh, there's a study that over 60% of people feel like they need to respond to their boss on the weekends. And as somebody who's run a company for over 25 years, uh, the Webby Awards and a film studio, I don't want to burn out my employees. I don't want to burn out. And so that was a really huge change for me is how much the ripple effect of me truly taking a weekend, truly unplugging from those screens helped me as a person and as a leader and for my whole team. So those are, that was a long answer, sorry. <laughs> no, it was great. Tiffany, in a few moments, I'm gonna have you literally recreate what the tech Shabbat looks like in the Schlein family because the Millers are going to practice it this week. We'll talk about it. <laughs> okay. So you're gonna, you're gonna guide the Miller family through kind of your tech Shabbat. You opened the book yep. talking about your father and your father's passing, and I want you to recreate that story. Before you do that, I'd like you to introduce our audience to a bit of your brand, the, the red lipstick and the hat, because there's a story behind uh -huh. that, and it's very tender. In fact, your book calmed me down. M most books incite me and motivate me to do more. I found mm -hmm. myself kind of curling up on my sofa under a blanket, mm -hmm. devouring your book prior to the preparation, realizing I need to do more of this. I need to do more of this. It really spoke to me. Would you talk about the significance that the red lips and the hat have in your own life from your grandparents? Yeah, I mean, I think that one thing you could say from my book is it talks a lot about family it and does. narrative yes, and ritual and the power of those three things. And it's really important to know the narrative of your family history, grandparents on down. I'm Jewish, so it's very hard to know beyond our grandparents. A lot of my family died in the Holocaust. Um, but my grandparents, so my grandmother always wore red lipstick <laughs> and um, actually used to be made fun of when I was younger because I had very big lips before they, my face caught up to them. And she told me to um, wear red lipstick because people would pay attention to what I said. And uh, I've never taken it off. And then my hat is from my grandfather, Grandpa, Grandpa Herman. She's Grandma Frances, different sides of my parents. And he always wore a hat, and he was a very eccentric, brilliant man. And when he passed away, he gave me his black beret, and I didn't take it off for years, and it has evolved into various forms of hats. And I feel like when I've got my hat on, I have my, like my full power on. <laughs> and so I've always worn a hat and red lipstick, so there you go. These are symbolic connections to your, to your heritage, to your upbringing, to your... Yeah. Your family. They're, it's a beautiful story. Uh, your father, who passed away, was a surgeon and was a fairly well-known author and wrote a lot about the brain and science and such. And ironically, coincidentally, he actually um, succumbed to, of all things, brain cancer. You share a very yeah. tender story in your book about the final hours of your father's passing. Would you take a few moments, let everybody kind of sit into whatever it is they're doing and lean in and listened to uh, Tiffany kind of recreate the final hours of your father's passing and what it meant to you. And a lot of us, I think, will be able to relate. Yeah, when my father was dying, and as you mentioned, he wrote a lot about the brain. And I learned everything about the brain from him. He, um, he literally brought a brain in formaldehyde to my fourth grade class, and, that's, and he would teach me about it. And then my mother was a psychologist who would talk a lot about the psychology of the brain. So I really grew up thinking about the brain a lot and how it worked. 
And of course, having him get brain cancer of all things was the sad irony of all. But he actually knew everything that was happening as the cancer was affecting his brain. And on his final day, he was, um, he lost his ability to speak and he was in bed and we were all gathered around him. And there was so much being transferred with just our eye contact and we were holding his hands. And it was like we were in this magnetic pole and fortunately we were incredibly close and everything that I had wanted to tell him, I got to tell him in the nine months of him dying. But that last day, I just, I understood so deeply the power of eye contact. I mean, as a baby, it is the way that the brain grows is when a parent looks into their child's eyes. That's how the synapses connect. And on the final moment, it was this very powerful um, connection with him. And something I write a lot about in the book is how worried I am that we're losing eye contact, that we're losing the true power of looking at people when we're talking to them because we're distracted by so many screens around us and how vital it is for human connection to truly look at someone in the eye. It's a beautiful story. I don't know if you've read it, but Brian Grazier wrote a recent book about the power of eye contact and such. And he, he agrees with you that it's, it's, it's a lost communication art. In addition to a lot of very tender, relatable stories about your family and your culture and your upbringing, you also talk very eloquently about the horrifying statistics and the science around how much we're addicted. In fact, we, you talk about addiction versus, you use another word to talk about um, how we use technology. But the, the, the stats are, in, are they're, they're, they're profound. I mean, this, the research shows that the average adult is spending close to you know, 74 hours a week on screen time, and that we're checking our phones about every um, 12 times a day. No, no, sorry. The average American checks their phone 80 times a day, and the millennials check it almost twice at 150 times a day. You don't demonize technology. You built your career around this, and you're a parent, and you and your husband you know, use all, all, all the leverage. Talk about your well, you research. Know, yeah, and I think it's interesting to note that I wrote this book before um, the pandemic, and um, I know that everyone is on their screens so much more during this period, and I don't know if this is running when we're hopefully able to leave our homes or not, but what I've heard a lot is how much people are on screen so much more because they have to. There's homeschooling. There's actually connecting online. There's there's so much online. And I still think, I mean, there's been a resurgence of interest in the book around this period because people want boundaries. And one of the big things that I think is really important to look at with screens, because, you know, our days off from screen during the quarantine have been like 10 times more profound and important to us. Um, but what are you doing on the screens? I think the big question is, the reason I've always had a problem with that screen time monitor on the iPhone, like your screen time is eight hours or your screen time is this, is that it doesn't really say what you're doing on the screen. Like there's no qualitative data on that data. So I feel like it'll be much more helpful if it said, you know, if there was some way to monitor when the screens give you inspiration and connection and positive things or when it drains, when it raises your cortisol level, when it raises your stress, when it gives you FOMO, when it like, what's the, what's the variable there? 
So um, the stats were pretty alarming before the uh, epidemic, the pandemic. And I think that the pandemic really accelerated people being online in a whole new way. And of course, with so many good ways to connect, but I know that I am stressed beyond belief at the end of my day um, during lockdown. And I usually feel even with or without being sheltered in place, at the end of every week, I run towards the night, the moment when I turn off my screens, I can't wait to shut them off. Because I feel like when I shut them off, it's like I free myself. I get my mind, body, and soul back in this very deep way. Uh, well said, Tiffany. You spend a fair amount of time kind of building the business case of you know pro and con around the technology. But let's use the rest of our time talking about the essence of the book, which is this idea of tech Shabbat, right? So your family yes. has instituted a decade ago this sort of deliberate reprieve from technology. I believe yours starts on Friday evenings. It goes through Saturday evenings. I think yours even slips in personally to Sunday morning. What I'd like you to do is walk us through not just the experimentation, but literally almost kind of hour by hour, recreate what the Schlein family is like, starting the maybe 10 minutes before your tech Shabbat begins, all the way through the preparation, the, the ritual, the harmony, the joy, the connection. What happens as you merge into Saturday morning, throughout your Saturday into the evening, and, and then maybe finish it with your glide path into Sunday morning. Because my family okay. is going to replicate this. We, we're gonna decide to do it this weekend. We're gonna start Saturday night, and okay. we're gonna go to Sunday night, just because of how our day works and such. And Yeah, so, whatever uh, works best for you. I mean, I, I pick Friday, I am Jewish, so I have done Shabbats before. So I, I like being in sync with the world, Friday night to Saturday night, but a lot of people do it Saturday to Sunday night. I've had so many people that have read the book and now institute it as a weekly ritual. And it's really about what works best for your family. So Friday afternoon, um, I usually will look at what we might have on Saturday. Now we've done this with two kids in soccer. So a lot of people say, oh my kids, I have so many activities on Saturday. How could I do this? Well, number one, I would really question why a weekend has so many activities. Like, can you truly rest on your weekend? But secondly, maybe all your sports games are on Saturday, so Sunday would be a better day to do it. But all of our sports games were on Saturdays. So Friday afternoon, I will usually write down the fields and where we need to be. I always have one contact on a team in case the field changes. We have a landline, which I highly recommend having for a million reasons, real emergencies. Yeah. Landlines are good to find your lost cell phones. And if you want to do Tech Shabbat, uh, landlines are very inexpensive and I think just good sense for a family to have a hardwired phone in their house. So Friday afternoon, I will remind um, any teams or soccer teams that we're, that we're, remember them, we're going to be offline. And if the field changes, can I'll call my, my a friend on the team to let me know. Um, but hopefully we don't have much on Saturday. Um, we've done a lot of shopping. We set the table in a really beautiful way on Friday night, the one night that we put a tablecloth, fresh cut flowers. We set it. We make a beautiful meal. We make the same meal every Friday night and um, we make fresh bread. It's like, it's the special meal of the week. And then usually we have guests over um, and during the shelter in place, we will usually have a Zoom with our family right before we shut down. So we're having some connection, but in a normal period, we always have friends, neighbors, people we love or wanna get to know better over for dinner. And the minute that doorbell rings, all the screens go off. So everyone in my family has a different way to do that. Some are racing with their last email. I try to turn them off earlier. We're preparing. 
We have an incredible meal. And I say incredible because there's no screens. The conversations flow in a totally different way. We use conversation cards. We go around the table and we literally will ask people to say, you know, what they're grateful for. What's one thing they learned this last week? One thing they want to let go of from this past week and one thing they're looking forward to next week. So the whole concept of Shabbat is about a week. Think about your life in terms of a week. And that makes a lot of sense, especially right now in the lockdown, just having, we don't know when this is going to end, but it's really nice knowing when your weekends, when all the days are blurring together. Mm -hmm. So we have this amazing meal. There's no screen. So people laugh more. They tell better stories. They're more presence. No one's pulling out their phone to show you something that's just off the table. And then the guests leave and we do a big family cleanup together, play music. It's actually the, the cleanup that's the most fun because, you know, we're a normal family. Chores aren't always fun, but that one always seems to be fun because we're doing it together and we have nothing else to do except make the house look great. Because it's that's another thing about the concept of uh, Shabbat. It's not in a temple. Again, this is if you are religious, but it's creating your home like a palace, a, a palace in time, which I love this idea that it's temporal. Then Friday night, I sleep the best. I have problems sleeping, so that's a huge thing. I, there's no screens in the bedroom. Everyone sleeps so well. And then we wake up in the morning, and uh, our kids fortunately sleep in now. So my husband and I journal. And I've been doing a lot, of, you know, I do a lot of reflecting. I wish we did that more in our society, and I do it by hand. I think that I want to live in a society that values reflection. And right now, we're so reactive, and we're so in the network all the time, and we never take a moment to process. And some of the best ideas I've ever had have come on Saturday. And as I look back after a decade of doing that, my best ideas come on that day where I'm not getting new input. I've made films about the neuroscience of creativity and so much as it explores how we have so much new input all the time that it's important to give our mind time to not get new input and to process what's already in there. That's why you have your best ideas when you're washing the dishes, taking a shower, going for a run. We need more time to process. So that's what Saturday is about. So Ken and I write like things that made us laugh that week, beautiful moments. I try to do big picture thinking also. And then the kids come down and, you know, we try to do things that everyone wants to do. So ask each person in your family what they want to do and make the day filled with that whole combination of things. And they're going to be very different. It could be playing a board game. It could be going on a bike ride. It could be um, watercoloring, napping, cooking, doing nothing. That's very admirable too. So the day is literally our favorite day of the week. And, and there's times where our youngest might be bored and I'm a big believer boredom leads to good things and creativity. So I always try to reframe that, that boredom should be something you're comfortable with and something you can work with and just sit with and not always need to be entertained. And um, it's the only day of the week I nap. I read in a much more focused way. I love to read, but lately you read with the phone near you. You're on three pages and something in the book makes you think of the phone. And yeah. I just don't read in a focused way. So anything throughout the week that I want to think about deeply, I save for Saturday. And then um, Saturday evening at 5 p.m., the, the screens go back on. The girls call it their double date with technology. My husband and I usually go out for a real date and we have a night away from the kids. Lately during lockdown, we just go upstairs in the bedroom and watch something and have dinner together. Um, but it's the most beautiful ritual that has happened you know, almost every week for over 10 years. And it has brought such joy, connection, creativity, productivity, and kind of meaning to my family. Um, and just myself, I just feel like I get for one day to just 
be with myself and not be influenced by so many things around me. And then in the book, I also, I talk about all these practices I brought into my life the other six days, because it felt so good to have that whole, a whole 24 hours. It's not just four hours and not just during dinner, but I recommend that too. But there is great wisdom in this 3000 year old practice that says a full day of rest. And what does a full day of rest mean in the 21st century? I think it means to turn off the screens. So the other six days I do things like I don't look at my phone when I wake up, I write in a five minute journal. Um, I don't look at the phone before I go to bed. There's no phones at the dinner table. And, you know, we eat dinner together. Well, when it's not locked down, we have dinner together maybe three or four times a week. The dinner lasts for maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And is that so much to ask that there's no screens at the table? I don't think so. Um, and yeah, so there's, I keep a, I write by hand. I think I really recommend keeping a journal with a pen. You think differently. You just, you write differently and you think differently. And I find, I love what you said earlier that you found my book calming because I find writing in a day planner, even though I also have my Google calendar, I find it calms me to write by hand. Now everyone's got a different thing that's gonna calm them. But I think the biggest thing is if you wanna find, besides the ritual every week, which I think is super important, which is, and so many people have adopted since I wrote the book and they've said that it's changed their life. So that's the big one. But the other six days, how can you replace looking at the screen so habitually with something that brings you joy? And I'm super into rituals. Rituals, I think, save us. <laughs> rituals bring such meaning to life. And so when I wake up, my ritual is to journal instead of flipping on my phone and looking at the New York Times app, which inevitably will stress me out or a whole bunch of emails of things I have to do. I try to think about the day. So what's your ritual? Is it walking? Is it running? Is it journaling? Is it playing music? What is the thing that you can start your day in a better way than having the whole world come at you before you've even really woken up? This interview is calming me. I can feel my blood pressure just kind of <laughs> calming as well. Glad. You know, recently we had the honor of interviewing Ryan Holiday. He wrote the book, Stillness is the Key. And mm. this book is, the, you know, this is the opposite of what my life is. There's nothing still about me, yeah. but I've learned a lot about um, how I start my day from Ryan. Ryan does not check his phone for the first hour. This is a productive writer. He's a best-selling author. And like mm. you, he sets very particular boundaries and has rituals. He goes for a walk and drinks his water and such. This idea of a tech Shabbat has spoke, spoke so profoundly to me. My wife and I are kind of planning what is our Friday meal. One of the pieces that you skipped over when you were telling the story, thank you for doing it so, so carefully, <laughs> was um, you assign tasks out. I mean, the preparation for your tech yes. Shabbat is, is, is re replicated every week. You have certain tasks that each of your girls do. Kind of revisit that, because those, those are, that's part of the process. You're creating memories yeah. and contribution. Kind of walk through the, how important the preparation process is. Yeah. So every Friday morning, I make fresh challah, which is an incredible, yummy bread. So Friday, it actually all starts Friday morning because I make the challah dough with our youngest daughter. We need the challah, which is very meditative and to have to have something that rises all day. Right. And then uh, in the afternoon, um, we, we start to, our older daughter will braid the challah and paint it. My husband goes shopping. Um, we make the same meal every Friday. Our older daughter puts out the appetizers. The younger daughter sets the table. Ken and I are working on dinner, but yeah. And then we do all clean up together. So there are a lot of rituals baked in there that I go through in the book. And I think, like I said, rituals are so important. 
They're empowering for the kids. They're, it's not stressful to have people say, oh my God, you have people, you have a dinner party every week, which is pretty much what we do. But when you do the same thing and you serve the exact same meal, which right. we do, all the stress is gone. We have like, we have the grocery shopping list. We have the schedule. This happens at this time. It's like, it, you know, Flo Bear said, you know, if you can create order in your life, your work, your work can be creative and radical. So it's like by creating these certain set of rituals, it, it's liberating. It's liberating because it frees you up to actually have thoughts that aren't about what am I going to eat and when do I need to do that or what's on the screen or, you know, it just frees you. It says the screen's off the table. You're not going to look at the screen. You're going to make a lovely meal, which you make every week. And it just frees you in this very powerful way. So I'm glad you brought that up because I think rituals, um, and I've really felt this deeply during the lockdown. Again, the rituals, like every Friday, actually I make bread uh, normally with my girls, but during the lockdown, I've been doing a Zoom baking class where I've had about 50 people baking with me every Friday morning. And in the blurriness of this lockdown, it is so nice to know, okay, it's going to be Friday and I'm going to be putting on a Zoom baking class with people from all over the world. And it's been fantastic. And it just shows you how rituals create order and meaning. And again, they don't have to be tied to religion. I think that's been a problem for me is that most rituals are tied to religion. And how do we get the same meaning from a ritual without it being tied to religion? And again, if you tie rituals to religion and that's and it works for you, that's wonderful. But there's a lot of us that want meaning. And that was what was so exciting to me about finding Shabbat in a deep way and sharing it is that here's this profound ritual with great wisdom around it that I wanted to liberate for the masses <laughs> and still call it Tech Shabbat, still honor it. Shabbat to me is this very beautiful idea of a day and time that's different than all other days. And I think the world needs it now more than ever. It's like, it's a hard reset. And yeah. just going back, like, again, who knows when this pandemic is going to end right now, but I feel a lot of similarities. So when my father was dying and him dying is what made me start doing tech Shabbat with my family, it felt like life was grabbing me by the shoulders and saying, focus on what's important. And I would, I had the time I was feeling so distracted all the time. And now I feel like the pandemic is grabbing the world by the shoulders and saying, focus on what's important. We need a hard reset here. And my weekly tech Shabbat is a reset every week. I think this pandemic is a huge reset on society. What's important, what matters, family, your health, um, being connected. And we were all over the place. So how can you ground yourself in resetting yourself every week? Tiffany, there um, is a very famous author, Frances Mays. She was very popular in the 90s and 2000s. She wrote several books, including Under the Tuscan Sun, Bella Tuscany. Mm. I loved these books. They were just very calming. In many ways, mm. I find your writing style similar to Frances Mays. You're kind of the Frances Mays, if you will, of 2020. <laughs> One of my favorite passages in the book is, um, I'm going to read it verbatim. Here's what our house is like Friday evenings as we prepare to close the door on the network in the nonstop world. The smells of rosemary, garlic, onions, chicken, and baking challah fill the house. All the piles of papers and books and laptops that normally lay claim to the kitchen table are put away. And the table is set with a tablecloth, candles, and freshly cut flowers. Before the guest arrives, everything gets powered down. 
the whole night is like a slow exhalation to end the week. I, for, mm. for those listeners that think, well, this is too regimented or I don't know where to start, how would you send us off with some small incremental changes that everybody who's listening and watching can maybe slowly integrate into their life what you've learned over the last decade that now is a ritual. It's a, it's a memory that your girls will take with them into their own families. Well, thank you, first of all, for that nice um, nod about that, that section. And I think um, most relationships, there's one person that needs to convince the other person in the relationship yeah. <laughs> to make this happen. There's always one person that's on their phones more or on the screens more. So I would really, a lot of people have told me since the book came out that they, they get the book and it has so much science and philosophy and psychology and a personal story that it convinced them. And then they will have their partner read it. And that having that in it, as you said, you can read it quite quickly, but it has a lot of backing to the why. Yeah. So I would first, you have to be both partners in. I think getting your partner to read the book is important because it'll lay out the why. And then you together are united. And then the first thing I would do is ask each member of the family, what do you wish we did more of? And it's such a positive way to look at it. And everyone writes their own list and it's gonna be a different list. And, and like I said, fill, fill your day with that. And instead of it being presented as we're taking, we're gonna turn off screens. That sounds like deprivation. That's why I've never liked the term digital detox or any of that terminology. Because to me, it's much more of what you get back instead of what's being taken away. Yeah. So you frame it as we're gonna fill this day with joy. It's gonna be a day filled with joy. What brings you joy? That is just, it's the right framing. Um, I would definitely have the partner in the, in the relationship read the book too. And then I would say to write that list and I would plan out several weeks in a row. Like, I love you're gonna try it this Saturday. Put in your calendar for the next four weeks because the way rituals are formed is they have to happen again and again and again. And the power of this ritual is that it happens every week and you start to look forward to it every week and it creates a rhythm. So I would say to look at four weekends in your calendar that you're going to do this. And then, I mean, like us and so many people that are now doing it after reading the book, it's like the thing they look forward to all week. I start, like it's Wednesday. This is when I really start to look forward to only two more days till I shut down. So it, it, <laughs> I, I would say that would be my advice. And and I would say to get a journal with pen and have that near your phone, pull that out instead of your phone all the time. Cause we're so, it's such a habitual flick wrist. The second you're bored, the second you yeah. have a moment, you pull out the phone and just think that you're, you're giving up real reflection or thoughts every, I mean, it's not like you have to be that way all the time, but give yourself a full day to be present and give yourself moments throughout the week that you cannot always turn to your phone or a screen as it is right now in the lockdown. The book is 24-6, The Power of Unplugging One Day a Week by Tiffany Schlein. Tiffany, thank you for your gift of the book, the stories of your family, the model, the inspiration for Tech Shabbat. The Millers will begin adopting it as a Catholic family this coming Saturday. The book is religiously agnostic. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, you know, one more thing I wanted to say is that I started a Facebook group called 24-6 Living, where if anyone has questions beyond after they read the book or after they watch this and they want to ask me, because I after doing something for 10 years, 
the people will often present me with a situation. What do I do in this situation? And I, I promise you, I probably know what yeah. I can propose to you. So I would recommend that too, but I'm so excited. You are going to try it and I want to hear how it goes. And I think you're going to find that it's going to bring a lot of joy, meaning and connection back to your life. I'm going to post some videos um, of the debrief because I can't post oh, videos great. during my Shabbat. So I'm going to debrief my family <laughs> and post it on my LinkedIn and, and uh, other accounts on Facebook. Tiffany, thank you. Stay safe with your family. I'll be thinking about you thank during you. our Tech Shabbat this weekend. Oh, I'm so happy and so wonderful to talk to you. And thank you for all the beautiful words you said about the book. It really, it really means a lot to me. Uh, our pleasure. Tiffany Shalane, thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you back here after the Miller Tech Shabbat next week with a new guest on Franklin <laughs> Covey's On Leadership series. If you're not subscribing, visit franklincovey.com. Click on the On Leadership tab. It comes out every Tuesday, both in a video and audio format. You can access the podcast on all the major podcast platforms. Each week, the email includes a newsletter that has a downloadable tool from our vast leadership tool chest, as well as a blog written by me. Invite all your friends and family and colleagues to join us, and we'd love to hear feedback from you on your own Tech Shabbat starting this week. Thanks so much. We'll see you here next week with a new guest.